bronche, bronche. That's how we say brunch. Here's to the ladies who stay busy with their lunch. Yo anda bochinche. Paquete con pinche. You know what they said? Got too busy, got too thinking. Aquí en esta mesa se respeta como ñón. Si la copa está llena, yo te doy la bendición. So what if we get batches? We from the Bronx. That's it. Don't get it twisted. We be going to Manhattan. Be a queen. Be a boss. Ladies who brunch are popping off. Hey, we pop, pop, and pop it off. We, we pop, pop, All pop right. The episode's about to start. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Ladies Who Bronche. I am Julissa. What's good, everybody? This is Skittles. And today, we have a very, very, very special guest. My sister from Westminster. Um. <laughs> She is a super talented, super, super, super talented, classically trained musician who is also a singer-songwriter who has just recently turned their label into an LLC. Come on, LLC. Rebecca Loren. Hey. How are you? <laughs> oh, man. I am just everything. I'm great. Amazing, I'm funny, I'm lovely, I'm beautiful, I'm just happy, I'm peaceful, I'm everything in between, baby. <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh man, how y'all doing? We good. We out here in these streets recording this yes. podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you from? Oh man, I'm from VA. <laughs> you know, VA, Missy Elliott, Timberland, all them them greats where they come from. But yeah, I'm from Woodbridge, Virginia. Uh, so I represent the DMV, DC, Maryland, and Virginia. Um, and yeah, I went to school in Princeton, New Jersey, at Westminster Choir College, where I met your little lovely self. And um, just always been making music, been by music ever since I was little, literally. Came out the womb tapping. <laughs> so, yes. And yeah. I, I keep on, I often tell you this, but I feel like the way, like, so a little bit about me and Rebecca, we we used to get very creative at Westminster because Westminster was a choir college. And so like me and Rebecca connected on the level of like, we were here at this classical school, even though we knew that we didn't really necessarily want to do the classical thing. <laughs> like it was one of those, like, you got to learn the rules before you can break them type situations. And totally. so I feel like the shit that we hear R&B singers and soul singers singing now on the radio, Rebecca's been writing that for years. Like that sound, um, it's literally like, it's, it's, she's been writing it for years. She should, you know, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, like, it's just been really interesting to see how like the sound has really gone into like how you write. So you want to talk about some of your influences? Yeah, so like, um, so I remember, first of all, the first song that you and I had ever created was, so tonight, you're sleeping <laughs> on the futon, you're sleeping on the futon, but um, <laughs> but in general, um, I know for me, it was always just mixing that sound of like, you know, R&B, pop, and uh, bringing in that sense of that soul. Um, a lot of it really is just, you know, nostalgia in the sense of the 90s vibe. And just bringing in your own element of yourself into a lot of your music. And I know for me, believe it or not, when we were in college, the way that I used to write, I was actually influenced a lot by Drake's style of writing. Um, Drake was like this dude who was very sensitive. He would talk to you about, so last night I just saw this girl and I was talking to her. Like he was real, you know, like personal with the stuff. I was like, this is interesting. But it wasn't about rhyming. It was about telling a story. So the thing of storytelling was always major in my music. Um, but like, I just laugh because I have noticed that what I hear a lot in R&B was a lot of what I was already recording, mm. um, like way before a lot of people even knew what was going on. But I was also performing in a lot of spaces where there were a lot of A&Rs. And I always kind of wonder about what was really going on in those rooms. But um, I did. I heard my sound evolve into a lot of artists. Like, for instance, her. I heard her start to kind of have a little bit of my sound and style a little bit. Um, and even like um, Daniel, Daniel Caesar, you can hear it a little bit with some of his stuff um, and just the whole R&B scene, like you said. Um, so all I know is I'm just excited to hear that there's a category developing for my type of sound and style. Because for a while, yeah. I was just completely left field. Like everybody was like, well, we don't know what type of R&B artist you are. Um, so just being who the heck you are, that's a beautiful thing. So, yeah. yeah, I think that, that I say that with like excitement because I feel like back when we were in college and you were writing like that, I was kind of, I even myself, I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. But like, 
it's different. It's not what I was already hearing. And yeah. so I know that I, even me as your friend looked at you like, oh, but what if you, and you really didn't, you stuck to your style. And now I feel like, like, because the style is popular, that leaves room for you to really grow and kind of. Uh, yeah, it does. Like even in the aspect of innovation, like um, just in the sense of the growth of sound and the change of sound, like it does leave room for you to be like, oh, shoot. OK, so they're already taking in all of these sounds and styles. And if I can be completely honest, I really believe Frank Ocean kind of opened the door to a lot of that because, you know, mm. he was like the sad boy R&B synth type thing. So it opened up the world of experimental music, especially for black musicians. So yeah, it's like open up a whole entire category for like so many different sounds and styles now. And I think also the world is just hungry for, you know, a whole new sound, especially with black artists, they love us, but it's like innovating that sound more and more and cultivating into the next era of music. So yeah. And what would you say your time during this you know, unfortunate pandemic has been, and not specifically artistically. I just mean like, Rebecca, how you doing, girl? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, on, like for real, for real, I'm great now. Um, the pandemic really caused me to slow my ass down and like really look at my life. Where where is it going? Who am I? Um, finding myself again, and just like even taking my mental health more serious. You know, mm-hmm. like realizing patterns in my life with relationships, friends, people, just slowing me down completely being like, hey, you know what? You wanna get to a certain level in life, you gotta change some things about yourself. You gotta be honest with yourself. Um, So working on self-love and just coming back to self, like that's really what the pandemic did, which caused a lot of changes to happen artistically for me. Like I really am my music. So a lot of things just shifted overall in my life completely. So yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Yes, so we're going to go into our brunch questions. And the first question is, what is your favorite brunch plate? When you go out to brunch, what are you eating? I still actually have two. Um, chicken and waffles is one. Um, and the second one is shrimp and grits. Yeah. Grits, you know. So, yeah. Yes. How many shrimps are you trying to have with your grits? Um, I mean, it gotta be all of them. It gotta be like, you know, like 10, 20. Like, you gotta, you gotta overload that sucker. You 20 know what I'm shrimps. You Where you got 20 shrimp plus. Where you got, do that? You got, you, yo, I be going to the to the black brunch. See, I'm in the DMV. So they you get the big old bowls. You know what I'm saying? Oh, okay. So they, they put the shrimps up in there. You know. You know, in New York, maybe they fuck around and give you four of the, the, the jumbo shrimp that they'll use. <laughs> and they play the yeah. group, yeah, I feel like in New York, it's like you get a, a max eight, max eight. They top really? it at eight. Damn, nah, I still man. accomplished eight. The most I've <laughs> Y'all got to come down south, man. <laughs> <laughs> so with your, with your shrimp and grits or your chicken and waffles, what is your favorite brunch drink? Oh, man. Um, I love me a, a good classic mimosa. I can drink a whole bunch of those. One, <laughs> <Wine>, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, peach bellinis are also like my favorites. I love the frozen peach bellini. Yo, this is the season of the peach bellini. This is the fucking season of the <laughs> I think I'm going to like create like a subset of like ladies who brunch it. Like, like we have the subset swallow squad. We should also have like the peach bellini like. That sounds like a good deal. Bellini pussies or whatever. I don't know. Something. What? (laughs) I just like that. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Rebecca, tell us a little bit about what it was like going out to eat when you were growing up. It was like, um, it was a fun experience because my mom, she's like a, a legit cook. Like, if you ever come to visit, like, down here with my family and stuff, my mom is going to make you a fish platter, fried fish platter. You're going to get chicken. You're going to get everything all right and um that woman, so, that woman flies a fish like it is a cloud one well, knows <laughs> god i want to play banana pudding banana pudding yeah fish <laughs> fry mac Ooh, and I'm talking yeah. about like a lot of food, like like oh my god, drink yeah, a down. campfire. It is a lovely yeah, experience yeah. at the household. It's, it's, <laughs> it's literally my house like every day. I'm serious. Uh, <laughs> but growing up though, going out to eat was always a fun experience. Like I remember the restaurants were completely different when, when we were younger. 
versus like, you know, when we were younger, everything was just coming out in the sense of like Olive Garden was new. Um, like, just like fun. It was a fun experience. It was always usually like a Friday night, meaning like, you know, you get out of school and like, oh, we're going out to eat. So it was, um, yeah, it was always like a really good experience. It was always fun. That's the only thing I can remember. So yeah, it was like an event. Yeah. And so what is your favorite bochinche topic to discuss over a um, I like to talk about everything, really. I just be like, let's talk about everything. Let's just unload it. Tell me what's going on in your life, in your world. I'll tell you what's going on in mine. And let's talk about the news. Ain't the world just crazy right now? Uh, yeah, we talk about everything. Like, we talk about so-and-so posted on Instagram. We talk about, uh, <laughs> like, you know, like, yo, was that at so-and-so? Or, like, you know, how you feel about that? Um, we talk about uh, celebrity stuff. Like, not as much as you used to, you know, because you're older now. So it's kind of like, I eh, got my own life to worry about. Um, <laughs> I don't like, I see the shade room now, and I'm like, wait, who are these people? Yeah, right? It's like, <laughs> I've never seen these people before in my life, right? Yeah, so yeah, um, but also just like, you know, I like to just talk about real life stuff, like growth. Um, I like to talk about finances. That's one of my biggest things I do. I like talking about businesses. I like talking, I like learning about things. So I like talking about things that are actually feeding my spirit. Um, and I, you know, just I like having fun. I like talking about everything. So yeah. <laughs> All right. And so now we're moving into our cheers to the ladies who section where we cheer dope people doing dope shit. You know, Reddit is one hell of a space on the internet, but they pulled, I think, their biggest stunt ever today with the stocks and GameStop and putting hedge funds in a position to not be able to fucking short stocks and do all this shit. And, and I mean, like, it, I guess it's so hard to give a quick and dirty version of what happened if you're not sort of like following into stocks. But basically, um, GameStop's stocks were not doing too well. I think they had gone down as low as like $20. Um, mm -hmm. And um, a hedge fund had sort of decided that they were going to buy a shit ton of the stocks to short them, which essentially means that, you know, they buy them off of a broker, they sell them right away for the same amount they paid for them. But then by the time that they have to buy the shares back to give it to the brokers, the idea is that the company is failing so that the price that they have to pay to buy it back to give it back is less. So if mm -hmm. I pay $10, you know, to, to buy it and sell it, right? But by the time I need to give that share back, it costs $7, okay. I'll pay $7 and sell it back, but I've gained $3, right? And so when you multiply that by like a shit ton of stocks and talk bigger numbers than $10, that's a lot of value. But this Reddit thread basically decided that they were like, hold up, you know, actually, if we all buy a bunch of these stocks, which the buy-in price was one that's reasonable, even for somebody who's just like, fuck it, let's play just to play, right? Like people who aren't mm -hmm. deeply invested into stocks, even we're just like, fuck it. And we're buying into these stocks. And so suddenly now the value, the buyback value was now higher than what the company had initially put in to buy all the stocks. But it got to the point where it surpassed $13.1 billion, which is the whole valuation of that company. And so now they filed for bankruptcy. Wall Street started losing their mind. Apps like Robinhood that were literally inherently built to make sure that uh, stocks are accessible to everyone, right? Like of making it just like a one-stop shop solution needed to like stop because regular old Joes and people who aren't the motherfuckers who have the big money who really control Wall Street were having access to this big money opportunity. And there was this one gentleman or the biggest payout that has been noted in this process was a guy who put in 50K in stocks that he bought, but he's walking away with 22 million. 22 crazy. Million. So, so crazy. <laughs> now Wall Street's like, oh, this should be illegal. But people are like, oh, that should be illegal, but it shouldn't be illegal how you could buy a whole bunch of shit to short. Let's talk about it. Mm, talk about so, it. Talk about I, it. I am here for it. I'm only tight. You know what I'm tight about? That I'm, I don't be on Reddit because a bitch should have been <laughs> I should be cashing out today too. What the fuck? <laughs> I feel like I feel like that whole like accessibility to knowledge of stocks is not is like non-existent I have no idea how stocks work and like it's not like I have people reaching out to me trying to educate me or 
or that that was something that was even an option. So the fact that regular people are buying into like something that was so big, I had no idea. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I ain't know what's going on. Shit. Right. And I would even I would even argue that it's like it's not even that the information's not there because there's tons of people. I mean, like yeah. there's little influencer. Like there's a whole sect of social media influencers that are just stocking people. Mm. It exists just as much as a makeup tutorial exists. There's a shit. God, that's real. The, the, the issue is, is that we are not a community that is targeted to be fed that information and understanding at an early enough age that stepping into adulthood and coming into money, we're not thinking of stocks. It's a foreign world to us because mm-hmm. sometimes when you're talking about big money, these are people, like I just said, the example, he put in 50K to get 22 million, right? So like, we're not necessarily of a community where people can say, yeah, I'm gonna drop 50K, but you don't always need to be dropping that much in order yeah. to big payout on mm-hmm. Wall Street. But it takes a finesse and a knowledge, right? And so mm-hmm. skills, it's like the information field is limited as it as it is limitedly advertised. Like it is limitedly put in your face so that you could be like, damn, you know, let me take a look at this stock shit because I keep seeing this commercial or I keep seeing this, that. Like you're it's not, we're not the targets. We're not the, mm-hmm. the people to get targeted. And so a lot of these influencers are people of color. Who are like, yeah, well, that's this is how I got rich and trying to teach their community. But a point I made, I was having this conversation earlier, was that the unfortunate part is that for some people, they can afford to put together a community strategy like the Reddit did and, and put these little circles mm-hmm. together. And there's like these investment circles where they move and yeah. make decisions together in order to like have the value go up. But I'm mm-hmm. like, who is the motherfucker who's been meddling with stocks forever, who never thought to get us all together on a Reddit level? To mm. have every, like, you know what I mean? Uh, other than, like, you know, instead of being like, oh, I'm going to teach you how to do it, but this is the price of my class. So go buy my class, learn everything you need to learn. And I get yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, they take their time to learn for free, so they should get some money. But I'm like, damn, like, this is how we need to be getting our motherfucking reparations and shit. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, like, their strategy I mean, here. Like, billions and billions of dollars out here that we're not actually taking no, advantage of. What's the Susu stock market's hybrid? Like, how are we helping each other put in pots of money? Yeah. And I, I don't know. And this just really unlocks something very interesting, a little loophole that I think a lot of people just weren't aware of because it's not illegal. And I think that that's the main point of all of this. Nothing illegal yeah. happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, that's real life because, like you said, the information is there, but also, I mean, like, a lot of times, anytime you try to get information on financial literacy, especially in our communities, they want to charge you for it, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And everybody's like, well, shit, nigga, I'm trying to get money, hey, that's the point, but it is, it's an investment, and that's the thing that some people don't realize, like, you do have to invest to get the knowledge, but at the same time, it is this knowledge all around us. Like you can learn a lot about the stock market for free. Like I'm gonna be honest, everybody should have Robin Hood on their phones. And that's not even the best, you know, source of stocks, but you can learn so much. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I got stocks sitting on Robin Hood and I watch it go up. Like I've actually invested in Moderna, you know, the, uh, the, the vaccination, the uh, yeah, the vaccines. Thank you. And I've seen it go up. And my stocks is blowing up. You know, I'm not going to lie. So, like, there's ways to teach. And Robinhood, there, there is a way where it's very simple, where you understand how it works and you start to get the, the concept of it. And as a community, though, like you said, making it a, a broader conversation, whereas everybody is really learning all together and educating each other. And just one person with the knowledge can really change all that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's just mindset, really, this mentality of people just, you know, opening up themselves more to actual ways to make money out here because it's a lot it's a lot of ways mm. Mm. that's a one and enough but i'm just glad to see their fuckery exposed it's kind of like <laughs> yes you was gonna be fine with it when you like fucking depended on games yep. fail yep literally what it is it's like oh we want you to fucking fail and then you yep. think about that and you think about how people like how those circles like how people have influence and dominate that and i'm mm. like damn that's, that doesn't sound right to me either. So mm-hmm. I hey, have y'all go out of business, you fucking greedy ass shits. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like for once, somebody actually learned how to play y'all damn game. <laughs> right. And so now they want to, and watch, I bet you that there's going to be new regulations and they're going to, it's going to be like, a, oh shit, we're exposed and they're going to try to find a way, you know, mm. or not. 
or not. And then it's up to us as a community to then be like, oh, we know how to play now. So are we going to play? Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. Yes. yes. All right. <laughs> now. <laughs> now. That's my confused eyes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just like, yeah, whatever y'all saying. I'm, I'm sitting here like... <laughs> I mean, like, this also, is one yeah. of those chairs where I, I'm just gonna be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I gotta do my homework on because, because, bitch, yeah. like, even even saying, oh, I applied for this grant, it was a ten thousand dollar grant, and if you said I'm gonna take even just two thousand dollars out of that grant yep. and into a stock market, right? Oh, you can yeah. come up on some big payouts, but you just you have can. to be strategic about it. That's yeah. real life. No, I mean, like, even aside from stock, like foreign exchange, like. Foreign currency, for instance, like a lot of people, you can actually put $500 into a euro account, right, just to get your money up because euros, of course, is more than the American dollar. So there is there's so many ways to literally like double, triple your money. Like you can flip money like a dealer out here. People do not realize what you can truly do with all of that. So like, sorry, I just no, okay, I'm done. Go ahead. Um, Was that that's why people say sometimes that like when you make like unexpected money mm-hmm. it's not always the smartest thing to just save it sometimes nope. it actually makes more sense to as she's saying flip your money so like mm-hmm. i said you even get an artistic grant they tell you you can do whatever the fuck you want with the money even a g goes a long way like because if you're yeah. following a specific company that's new or budding and like mm-hmm. you know a g gets you a nice amount of shares then like you're investing that much in the trajectory of this company or if i want to okay. buy into i think at one point Netflix stocks was like $234 and it's kind of like, damn, one per, but like take, you know, buy like four or however many you can get out of a thousand with that number. And Mm -hmm. suddenly like when the stocks rise and it's worth a thousand something each, you get quadruple already. (laughs) And and one would argue as Netflix goes on, you say, oh, I don't even need to sell it. I could keep sitting on it because Netflix just keeps innovating. And so the one time you made that money, it's sitting somewhere in the same way that you would be saving it. And, you know, at best, you got to try to get out before you would lose money at best. Like that's what you can do. But the reality is you more than likely walk away with some sort of profit. Yep. I don't actually know like what stocks are though. Like what are we, what is stocks? Like your pieces of a company, their percentage of a company. Yeah. It's like your pieces of an investment. Okay. Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, like, I like Nike. You got five on it. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yes, you there you go. On it. <laughs> I got five on it. Okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I really just need to do homework because this... The, yeah, oh, no, it's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's Over just my investment. <laughs> like, you invest in companies that you like. Like, for instance, you like Apple. Apple's probably like, I think it's like two or 4,000 a share right now. I can't remember. But it's a lot. Um, and you just be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm buy a piece. I'm gonna invest in a piece of Apple, but you also, over time, it grows and puts more money into your pocket. That's really all. So, so it's a gamble. So to me, it's like if anybody could go up to fucking Empire City and Yonkers, <laughs> little slot machines, then you have the patience to sit down and, and mm-hmm. watch the stock and, and make some real fucking money. So that's, that's the next phase, Skittles, because I'm getting into that shit myself. Mm. That's my next move is like, all right. Yes, y'all should do it. Oh, can I have some? Okay. All right. And so now we are going to move into our Tuta Loca S, where we call out motherfuckers who are doing the most. <laughs> Craft macaroni and fucking cheese. That's the motherfucking audacity. First of all, it has audacity just as a whole, because for anybody who's had some real big macaroni and cheese, like craft is a bit of an insult to that quality, right? So mm-hmm. you would argue that, you know, they have a recipe, it's classic, people love their craft macaroni and cheese, I ain't even mm-hmm. trying to shit on it, right? But it works for what it is. But these motherfuckers have some audacity for this Valentine's Day season to be releasing a candy flavored macaroni and cheese. Yes, candy flavor and it's pink. And it's not just cheese that's pink color, but it tastes the same and it's just for like some dye. No, no, no. It is a different flavor. It is a sweet, it has like a hard candy taste. So the little hearts that they sell that say the words on it, it's that flavor. Macaroni and cheese. Nasty. Yeah, that really is. Like I that is disgusting. What who made them think that was all right, you know? Well, in the in the ad thing, it said like, oh, like you know, the mushy gushy pink, <laughs> and arguably 
there that's a whole pun for a whole different pink gushy. <laughs> I mean, it's Valentine's Day, you know, they're like no. I mean, I said it before and I'll say it again. Cardi needs to ask them to cut a check. Macaroni <laughs> in a pot that's some wet, wet, wet. She literally <laughs> that uh an entire tagline. So I I I blame her for indirectly influencing this horrible decision. But I also think that she's gonna get paid for it. <laughs> okay, but let's all right. So but but like scenario, in what scenario would you actually end up eating this mac and cheese outside of being paid for it? Because somebody could pay me to be like, oh, eat it. I'll be like, fine. You're I'd eat it if I were getting paid. Um I'd eat it if like my dying cousin asked me to eat it. Like Nah, you wouldn't you wouldn't eat it if some motherfucker was like, yo, I came over for Valentine's Day, I cook you something, and they cook you this and they serve it. You ain't gonna get no. it. <laughs> there is yeah. no dick that is worth it, for, there is no penis that is worth candy uh. macaroni and cheese. Like if anything, I would skip the macaroni and cheese and just go straight to the dick. Like if that's the case. That's that is nasty. Okay, you can't nah, get it nasty. ever again if you don't eat the plate. Then I'd eat it. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I am done. I'm done. <laughs> what if, like, Jeshua was like, Theo, I made you um, a Valentine's Day meal and he served you, your nephew, your wonderful nephew? He knows better. <laughs> he knows better. What about you, Rebecca? If, if, if a young person in your family was like, Rebecca, I love you so much. This is a Valentine's Day meal for you. Would you eat it? Hell no. I will say this. This isn't, this wouldn't be a reason for me to eat it, but I would absolutely buy it for a video or like, you know, like as a product. Uh, yeah, absolutely totally. like buy it and cook it for a video, I don't think I'd still even then eat it. Wait, so is it- Cause that's nasty. First off, think about it. Like pasta and candy. Who likes sweet pasta? Have you ever tasted sweet pasta? Not in the candy sense, right? Like somebody might have like a sweet pepper or like, you know what I mean? But not like yeah. candy sweet. I've never had like a sweet- Maybe like I've never a had a sweet with like a little like cinnamony nutmeg, but even that's not like sweet necessarily. It's just um nah, man. like I can't even imagine that. I'm trying to think about that. Like no, nah. <laughs> like a pastry, you know, uh, that's yeah, but nah, no, no, nah. not even not pasta. Like a, like a cannoli, you know, that's in the sense of a pastry. But I'm like, no, there's there's no noodle there. I don't I don't know. No. They and they're actually so the pack the pink stuff is made out of beetroot, carrot concentrates, fruit trose, and natural flavors, right? So that's what oh, how gosh. they make the pink. Um, and they're giving away a thousand packets. Um, if you fill out a form to enter, um, and it ends February eighth. So if any of y'all are interested in getting some free pink macaroni and cheese, nobody want no pink macaroni and cheese. <laughs> I would do it for the video. I, don't know I mean, that would be it. interesting. That I wouldn't would eat it, though. but I'd like make it and take pictures with you it. You wouldn't even try to taste it like at least one? Taste it. I was about to say, do I'd not probably taste it. Like I'd probably do a little, <laughs> just not You'd like probably be like, mmm. Okay, right. So the thing to find the actual is not that bad. And the next thing you know, the whole plate is down. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, that was damn good. That was damn good. <laughs> Ew, just think about like the shit that's gonna come out of you. Like, <laughs> you pink. does that not happen to you when you eat red velvet cake? Like, too hell yeah, red. You be like, you think red wrong velvet? Like, I haven't yeah. had red velvet cake in a minute. No, no man, like, it come no, out red. Right, it does. Right, like no nasty shit. Mm -hmm. Like I remember that happened. I think one yeah. one time, and I was worried, and then I was like, it can't be yeah. red velvet, can it? Yeah, yeah. I, I had to call my doctor. <laughs> I thought something was wrong. I, to get some I can't remember if it was a doctor what, but I got my motherfucking verification because I was yeah. like, oh. I was like, am I sick? Is it something wrong? Because um, <laughs> like, it'd be red. Like, I'm talking like shit red. You know what I mean, man? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you like, you really see something wrong? Like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is this? 
Taste it. Yeah, shit not pink. I'm not yeah. gonna that. Don't put that pink. You're gonna be like, I'm a unicorn. <laughs> 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 Ooh, this looks good. Oh my god, this is delicious. I definitely want to taste that. Mm. Oh my god. Mm. Wait, you pass the salt? Mm. All right, so now we're gonna go into our plate of the day entrepreneurship as an indie artist so as we mentioned earlier rebecca loren you have a new llc and the llc is called soundproof 4 can you tell us a little bit about what soundproof 4 is and oh man soundproof 4 uh the sound of change it is a record label um and uh, i do most of my production uh, of course through soundproof 4 and it's just the overall concept of innovation musically for artists from their creative freedom to their freedom of just being artists, not being bound to, you know, uh, a label, just you do contract work with Soundproof 4, but you're not signed, you're not bound to us, like you don't do nothing, you go on and be who you are. And, um, and just the concept of creating like real music again, like, um, you know, conscious music, or just party music, vibe music, artists being their authentic selves and being who they are, not afraid to be who they are. And also, you know, Soundproof 4, aside from just a label, like I do plan on venturing out into film. I do plan on venturing out into actually creating a school that teaches media. So like, you know, starting my own streaming site, like all of that stuff is what's in the goal for Soundproof 4. So I do plan on becoming like the independent Amazon of the music industry. I really do. I plan Mm -hmm. on becoming like my own thing, for real, for real. So yeah. So what is like, so you said like the goal is to like have the artists be like contracted to you, but then also have that freedom of like, like steering their own career and stuff like that. What mm-hmm. kind of goes into that? Like, pro- as um, to like being signed to like a major label and stuff like that. Also, uh, when you sign to a major label, you literally give over your rights to yourself basically and to your music, depending on who's in the room. Um, I honestly say it's, it's all based on who you know and who's really doing those deals for you because 90% of what's in those contracts you do not understand. People mm-hmm. don't understand that music industry, it's a business, which means it's a legal business, which means any contract that you sign is a legal document. So there's a lot happening in the sense of law. Um, but in the sense of, let's say I sign you to my label. You're not really signing your contract, meaning we're going to contract project by project. Mm-hmm. You can work with whoever you want to work with. You don't even have to work with Soundproof for but if you feel Soundproof 4 has what you need and what you want, what we do is we sign a contract for your project. We do your campaigns, everything in the sense of how you want the money to come about. If you feel like you want to borrow money from the label, it's everything up front. In other words, you see everything that's happening because you have full control because you yourself are a business of your own. You're an artist, but you're a business. And that's what people don't realize with major labels. They need you more than you need them. Mm. So the exchange is what I can do for your sound and how we can help each other. That's how I see it supposed to be between artists and labels, how we can truly help each other do what we both want, you want, and what we want. And at the end of the day, once we've done that, boom, bam, thank you, officer, we good, you know? So, <laughs> and like keeping the right going. Oh man, um, Soundproof 4 is funny. Um, so at Westminster Choir College, I used to be in one of the little practice rooms. You remember the soundproof rooms in the basement? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's it, Seabrook, Seabrook Hall? What's the name of the- Projects. The yeah, the projects, yes, PJs. Yeah, so in the basement, there was a soundproof and it was soundproof four. And I was always in that soundproof room and I would be in there at nighttime practicing for piano and just like creating in general and just like, you know, recording or, cause you remember I used to record all the time in the soundproof mm-hmm. rooms and just like working. So. Out of that, I was like, oh, that's that's what I'm going to name the label, Soundproof 4. And that's basically how I developed personally on a level as an artist, was just in those practice rooms. I love that because I, like, what a lot of people don't realize in terms of, like, my story with, like, YouTube and stuff was because the YouTube, the whole YouTube channel started out of boredom in those soundproofs, too. Yeah. So, like, that kind of, like, birthplace of, like, you know, the first time that I did any parody songs or like, mm-hmm. you know, any just like random music video songs were coming from those soundproofs. So I think that it's really cool exactly. that you like took that and 
and created something because if if Westminster is gonna give us anything, they might as well give you the name for your fucking LLC. Fuck out of here, all right? Yeah, that's real shit, man. Like <laughs> a lot, a lot of work at that school, man. My spiritual intact, but dang. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your musical background? Oh man, yeah, my musical background. So I am classically trained. Um, I studied opera. Um, so you know, lyric soprano is actually my voice part. A lot of people think I'm a mezzo, but I'm not. I'm a lyric. <laughs> um and uh yeah I, I studied opera when I was at Westminster Choir College and I had a lot of great opportunities I'll be honest like Westminster was a trip of a school but I had opportunities there that I know for a fact I wouldn't have got at other places mm-hmm. like we did Carnegie Hall we did the Kimmel Center like we performed at some of the greatest venues uh for musicians in general um but yeah that's a little bit of my background <laughs> yes. just speaking yeah. to to Westminster a little bit um, and I know that some of the shittiness that happened up there was also just, um, you know, the lack of diversity in certain in certain aspects and yeah. um, having to navigate a space with your identity, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and you think about opera, right? And for some people, opera is just so far removed from our like current reality, right? <laughs> so, but that is, it, it is its own industry. It does have its own sense of practices, right? Um, but yeah. the experience of being in the weeds of these sorts of classical trainings has its own sort of experience. So I'd love to hear yeah. a little bit about what that, you know, what those challenges rather, I won't say struggle, I'll say challenges, like, we're navigating that space as a whole, even even in academics, even outside of me. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm very open and honest about my struggle at um Westminster Choir College. Uh it it made me and it it broke me and molded me at the same time. Um believe it or not, what was interesting, I had a lot of situations, of course, with it being predominantly white, but I grew up around predominantly white, so that didn't technically bother me. I was very much aware of the environment I was going into. But surprisingly, a lot of my issues was actually with people who were of my color. Mm-hmm. And we, cause Juan, as you know, it wasn't that many of us, but mm-hmm. we weren't exactly the nicest to each other at times. Um, and, but there were those who were very supportive. Like for instance, our twins, Sharice and Sharicea, like very supportive. Mm-hmm. They always cheered you on. Um, and when you did deal with things, where it was racial issues. Um, I mean, they was your whistleblowers, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so there there were, there were times where as, you know, you come into the school, like for me, especially, cause I didn't have a huge music background in that sense of, oh, singing in the choir, or I didn't come from an artsy, you know, high school, I was homeschooled. So a lot of my stuff was actually self-taught. And I, my first voice lesson was like the year before I graduated from, you know, high school. And my voice teacher was like, oh, yeah, no, you need to do this. I go audition and I get into the school. And here's all these people who have had this experience. Mm-hmm. And they know how to sight read. They know how to read music. I didn't even know how to read music. So aside from feeling like I was behind, here I am feeling like I got to prove myself to these white folks. And I started to eliminate that because at the same time, you know, I, my family, we're very strong. My family is always like, don't prove yourself to no white people. Prove yourself to yourself. And remember, every time you go out there, you, you're making a way better for somebody else in your community and for your people. And so it did. It was a lot. I learned a lot. It was a lot of mental things that I had to, like, break through. It was a lot of, you know, things personally and even with sexuality and just, like, different things as well. Like, it was, it was a lot of breaking through, you know, of things and just social structures and the old mindsets. Like, a lot of people's mindsets were old that were there and it was just crazy <laughs> but I learned a lot and through learning a lot of that I learned how to maneuver through a lot of different situations in life so yeah that was yeah I tried to say all of that in a small scope but I don't know if that, <laughs> that worked that totally that totally answers it and I appreciate you going into the nuance of like a, yes there were a lot of white people but I had a different experience that was challenging and I think it's mm-hmm. important that we're able to like call each other in to call each other out about shit like that because um, I think what, what people often fail to recognize is that your success in that space that isn't dominated by your community does, should not depend on the detriment mm-hmm. of the community in the process. And detriment doesn't have to mean that you're like literally like pulling people down and wishing bad upon, upon people, but that mm-hmm. you don't have grace and space for the lack of equity that exists for exactly. you guys in the community and then like are willing to be in community and that that's an active thing. It's not just like, oh, because we're Black, we're community. I mean, yes, we're part of the same community mm-hmm. the in community is to be actively 
collaborating, right? To be yeah. actively mm-hmm. self-aware and, and, exactly. and each other down, even when it's indirectly, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think that that's totally important. And, and the reason I had even asked that was because sometimes, or at least, you know, I, I went to LaGuardia with, with Skittles. And so that was my artistic <laughs> yeah. experience, but like sometimes the way in which your creativity gets to be its organic self in a space, mm-hmm. sometimes hindered because like, yeah you're not able to get real feedback on your work because mm-hmm. you don't get you or don't understand. Yeah. Like, in the mm-hmm. essence of what you're saying with that, I'm, I'm going to say something like, all right, so one, like, you notice, if you're a Black singer at this school particularly, they will automatically want to throw you in the spirituals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Like, I love telling my people's story, but at the same time, it's easy to get stuck with that. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you, you up there singing, mama, is Master going to sell us tomorrow? Like, stuff like that. You're like, oh, wait a minute now. Hold up. <laughs> I came here to learn how to sing, you know, Bach, Mozart, all of these people. And here I am singing, Mama, is Master going to sell me? So <laughs> there's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many different components. And that, that, that's the thing, I think, when I say it was just a lot of experiences, you can't really say all of what happened. But overall, the spectrum of, no, I actually am, you know, more than just this label or this idea and you having to work, of course, the concept of what we call black taxes, you got to work 10 times harder than the white woman in the room who can go up there and not practice and sound like she pitchy. But if you go mm-hmm. up there and you a little off, all of a sudden you ain't practice. They want to tear you down in front of the whole room. So mm-hmm. yeah, you got that element of things that you're dealing with. So the mental strength that has to come in with that. But then also, like I had a coach one time, I can't remember her name um, at the school, but I'm not even gonna say her name. Uh, <laughs> but she was, uh, I think from South Africa. And she said something to me one time that I realized what I was dealing with in that moment. She was like, you know, it's so it's a shame when people like you have the gift that you have. And I was like, what, what was that supposed to mean? <laughs> so those elements that you gotta fight through, it's enough. That especially in the classical realm that you're in, everybody's mainly white on the stage. You got to deal with all of that. And then you got to deal with the sense of how your blacks sometimes might tear you down more than your whites at times. So it's mm-hmm. it's a lot. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I did, I pushed through a lot of things. But like, I mean, when you have people like Juan, I mean, he was like literally like my only like real friend on that campus. Like for real, for real. And Mexican. yeah, like I realized in, in, in college, to some professors, he was Mexican one. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, man. My, English, my, my English credit was well earned. We will just say that because those English teachers swore that I would not be able to speak English. Oh, but that's madness. I, <laughs> oh, but I'm interested to know, like, how this experience. Cause you, you, like you said, you were coming from a classical, like Westminster was all classical music, right? But mm-hmm. now you've gone on to become like a singer songwriter and start your own label or whatnot. How did the experience of like being um, in a classical school affect that trajectory? Cause I feel like it's real easy when you go to like a conservatory to be talked into, oh, well now you're doing classical music and like be really pushed into you're either doing classical music to sing at the Met or you're, or you're trying to become a classroom teacher. Um, mm-hmm. And so like starting a label and, and becoming a singer songwriter is kind of like left from that. How did the experience affect that? Um, being on that campus showed me how you're not supposed to fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it showed me how to find my own way. And if you do fit in with everybody, you'll just be wanting to be picked all the time versus I can create my own way and make a way for many other people besides myself. Um, Being in this room that I'm in, it's not a lot of women. (laughs) Um, And it's cool because now we're in a time after the pandemic, you see more black people becoming their own entrepreneurs. And especially in the music field as an independent artist, everybody's realizing you don't need major labels. Everybody's realizing all you need is just yourself and a real good solid team. And you can really build yourself massive. And in my experience, like you said, going from classical to all of a sudden I'm outside of classical. Classical world, I I didn't like the feel of it. I didn't like Mm -hmm. feeling like, um, 
I would always be sized up with the next black girl in the room or even just the concept of maybe I got into the room because I am lighter in my skin complexion or yeah, I sound good, but maybe my diction is not the best, but they like the certain type. I didn't like that. I didn't like the fact of every time you're a black woman, you go somewhere, they call you the next Leothene Price just because you're a black woman who sings. I didn't like that. <laughs> mm. R&B, however, this realm gives you space to be who the hell you are. You make your own sound, your own style. They see you as yourself. And creating a space for myself, it's created like a, a legit lane for me. I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but it's just I've always known that I would be my own and have my own and just create my own path. So I just honestly stuck with my experiences and realized, hey, you know what? I can do this on my own. I don't need other people in the essence to tell me if I'm good or not. I believe I'm good, so I know I can do it. Um, so yeah, it just grew into like a whole entire thing of just push for yourself. So yeah. Yeah. And so like going from there and pushing from yourself and all that stuff, what are some things you wish you knew maybe back in 2014, 15, when you were graduating Westminster to now 2021? Um, that you've like started this label and you are like kind of being your own entrepreneur. What are some mm -hmm. things you wish you knew back then? I was so focused on the academics of things that I wish I had realized, oh yeah, it's good learning your craft, but there's a hustle to it also. Um, there were things in the street that I didn't learn that, cause I was in school, you know, like there's a whole hustle to the craft. It's not just, oh, you go up here, you learn how to sing real well. In any room you walk into, they're gonna love you. Nah, like it's a real hustle and grind. Like you gotta connect, you gotta meet people. You gotta be singing somewhere almost every other night. You gotta be out and about. And I wish I had started that hustle process way sooner. I wish I started that when I was in my freshman year. Cause I mean, we was right there near New York. All I had to do was hop the train every weekend. So it's like, I wish I had did that a little more, you know what I'm saying? But other than that, um, that's the only thing I wish. But yeah. I'm proud and happy where everything else has led and how the process has been. So, yeah. And I will say this, Westminster was a hard school. Like, it was hard. So the <laughs> fact that you didn't like do that, I understand like the desire to have be wanting to do that, but that school was hard. Like it you want to talk about music boot camp? That shit was music military school. <laughs> no, like real life. Like I think for the first two years, I was on like literal like academic probation. Like you know, I'm honest about my shit. Like <laughs> I, I couldn't for the longest. I felt like there was something wrong with me because I couldn't seem to get it. And then all of a sudden, I started realizing. I'm sorry, but like white people make shit hard for no damn reason. Like mm. it was, it wasn't that hard. It was it really to simple. Be that hard. <laughs> it was really simple things like why the hell did I fail musicianship two two times like that didn't make any sense mm -hmm. it was simple things and they made it so complicated and so complex but then I started realizing the mindsets of the majority there was also complex and complicated mm -hmm. people that we thought were so smart weren't technically that smart not trying to belittle anything or anybody but you start to realize it really wasn't that serious mm -hmm. in that sense of things so yeah, like, yeah, it was hard school. It was hard, hard as hell. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> I just realized I didn't ask you why you think being an entrepreneur is uh, is important as a <clears throat> artist. Um, I think it's important uh, for an artist to be an entrepreneur because you start to run things, not run things, but you start to handle yourself differently. Um, as an entrepreneur, I see everything that I do as an artist is a business. Like my time is money. You don't waste time on stupid stuff when you start to realize you're an actual entrepreneur. You can't afford to waste time. Um, you take things more serious. It's more disciplined to the core. And even though music in itself is the discipline that we all know, it's like you either do it or you don't, you know what I'm saying? But the entrepreneurship adds even more of an element to you understanding more in the terms of business of what's happening in the room like not just relying on everybody else around you to take care of your business because let's be real we've seen what's happening with some artists that are relying on others to take care of the business they're not taking care of it like they they either owe taxes or they don't own their music it's a whole lot of stuff to that so yeah that's that's the most important thing especially the black artists entrepreneurship is extremely important in my opinion so yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was actually, I was actually gonna ask, you know, I feel like there's also a way in which um, 
having the ownership lie or having the reliability of your brand lie and people feeling like they're going to profit off of it really puts mm-hmm. you in like where suddenly who you are as an artist isn't enough unless it can yield specific results that they're measuring mm-hmm. by their standards. And so I wonder like how, like either positively or negatively, how has the dynamic of like having to create your own lane to a degree, right? Like, so you said like musically, like there are people you compare yourself to, but I would argue that like who Rebecca is, right? Though mm-hmm. as an artist isn't what those people are. Mm-hmm. You have your own experience and your mm-hmm. own that goes into even if it's that style (laughs) like making room for who you are as the individual to be marketable or like or like you know so how have you navigated that aspect or not navigated it right because I think also sort of not resigning to it is its own power as well um I think for me I've always known I'm unique like I don't really compare myself to other artists um but I do hear other artists who I believe have heard me I ain't gonna lie um but (laughs) Um, I am my own artist. I've always been Rebecca Lorraine. Like a lot of people try to say I sound like this artist or that artist. I don't sound like anybody. I sound like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I take pride in that. I'm not going to lie. Um, Cause to me, that's the uniqueness of my gift. And in that, I also know what value I bring into a room with that. Um, so in the sense of marketing for the longest I did, I tried to somehow sound a little bit like the radio. That, that doesn't work for me that's that's not me um and even with my look and my styles like I just recently think I got to a point where I just I accept who the hell I am and mm-hmm. really that's what people want people want real people and you either like me or you don't I'm not really pressed about that I'm sharing myself in my music and it's not personal if you like it you like it if you don't you don't but at the end of the day I tell stories I, I do want to connect with people I want to help people in their healing processes I'm in my process of healing and um Overall, I just, I just believe in just being who the hell you really are, and yeah, just be bold in yourself. So yeah. So is there like first five tips that you would give to a musician who wants to be an indie artist? Um, first five tips. First one is do your research. Um, do your research on the people not the artists, the people who work for the artists, meaning those are the people that are really getting them into the doors. It's not so much the other artists, it's the people working around them. Um, Second, um, work on your craft, take it seriously. Um, Who do you wanna be? Who are you? Uh, That's the biggest thing. We've already had Michael Jackson's, we've already had Mariah Carey's, we've already had Whitney Houston's, but we haven't had a you. So be strong in who you are. Uh, number three, learn how to market, understand that you're a business. You got to learn how to market. That's something that I'm at right now, to be honest, you know, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you got to learn how to market. Uh, and the fourth thing, I mean, just stay consistent, consistent and persistent on everything, every level. Mm-hmm. Don't give up because you don't want to give up, but you got to keep going. And overall love what you do. Cause if you don't have love for it, you'll fall off like real life. And it's bigger than you. Like you got to understand it's not just you, we're all a human race that's connected. So what I do affects 20,000 other people in the world and mm-hmm. that will help other people go forward. So you gotta, you gotta realize it's not just about you. So yeah, that's what I, I think I also like thinking about it um, and hearing what you were saying. I think it's also important for people to take into consideration like when you're being an artist, when you're becoming an artist or a musician or whatever, like you really have to evaluate what your goal is Mm-hmm. at the end of the day because you could be a successful musician and still like be holding on a full-time job but like yeah, exactly content you know um yeah not everybody's gonna reach jay-z and beyonce status um no so like you can be just as much a success by creating your stuff and still you know holding down a normal life any sense of mm-hmm. honesty i agree with that that was good wine yeah yeah. <laughs> well, I'll be, be, be saying something sometimes. This is so silly. <laughs> and I feel like the like even as somebody who's like not in the music industry, I think one big area of opportunity that I think what you're creating with your brand is is that the the reality of what Skittles was saying of like, oh well, you're not necessarily gonna be the Jay Z's or the Beyonce is also driven by who controls 
the market and who exactly right so you know it's not because of oh like sit down your talent's not that good that you'll mm-hmm. be like, that's not what skittles is saying it's just like the game is a game it is exactly a game. And with the same energy you know what we were referring to with the stock market games like you know like mm-hmm. it, it is there is a concentration of power and there are these things that are loopholes that work in the favor of exactly companies that do not serve you even like contractually you just don't have like not owning your masters is a very big thing it's a huge thing you know that is just been the way and people have accepted it because it is what it is and that's not even a white versus black thing and i think that's another really important thing to break down about the music industry is Mm -hmm. that actually in the music industry there are quite a few black and latinx Mm -hmm. you know even in in that side of the world people who hold stake who are upholding the system because Mm -hmm. their business so in that Mm -hmm. mindset sometimes exactly your limit is not oh you know because i'm a black woman and like you know i'm more Mm -hmm. melanated than others that might be true but that might not even be number one on the list right like it's about that appeal you are their stock essentially Mm -hmm. exactly around and, and shit like that and so the more that we allow ourselves to take that power away by not participating in that system mm-hmm. and participating in more things like your company, then we start to shift the dynamics. Because even mm-hmm. when like, a chance the rapper emerges, for example, immediately these motherfuckers are trying to find ways to either appeal or like mm-hmm. still profit by working with because they they can't, you know, he's an independent artist, yeah. so quite do that thing, but they're still going to try to find a way to control how he gets to intersect mm-hmm. in your world. And so exactly. I don't know, like there needs to be a collective shift. And I think as much I agree. as you want about Kanye, and this is the last I'll say, but when <laughs> he on his little rant about the masters and all that stuff, whether he accomplished everything that he was ranting about or not is a it different is thing. But but his highlighting that so deeply and psychotically, I mm-hmm. think was so fucking important to start that conversation. It was. It, no, I agree with you 100% because, see, it's, I appreciate you saying all that. So this, <laughs> I agree 100% because the thing is of like coming into the industry now, it's like you can't just be an artist. You do. You have to be a corporation. Like I, like you said, beating them at their own game, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, um, I don't know if you guys remember the story of what was really happening with Tupac and Biggie before they actually allegedly got murdered, right? Biggie and Tupac were talking about becoming independent artists. They wanted to take the money away from labels. So their whole game was, you know what, why can't we just start our own thing? Why can't we own our music and just really just be our own bosses? We don't need them because they saw how much was coming in from their music alone. So they were already on that. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is, I think we're in a time of especially black artists, because let's be honest, when you look at all of the films and the movies about the industry, they have screwed over so many artists, like so many, not even just black, just people in general. Like they have out hold the artists completely. They put them on the corners and pimp them to death. Like, Mm -hmm. let's be real. They take all their talent, they kill them and then them people die. They got drug issues. They're broke. You know what I'm saying? And what are they doing? They're benefiting off of this. All right. So take back your power as artists. You don't realize you don't need them. And people got this thing where I'm a creative. That's like how they tell you creative people don't know how to do math. That's a lie. Learn. Pick up a book. Read. You can truly learn how to run your own business. And then even when you get to a certain point, you hire people who know more than you know, who can mm-hmm. truly run your business. Mm-hmm. And like, it, yeah. So I got, I got happy about that because that's the passion behind it all. It's the concept of I'm not going to them anymore. You make them come to you. But why do you even want them when you can create your own corporation? and have your own money and really taking care of other artists the way you want to, or even just helping out your communities in general. So yeah, that's, that's like really where my mindset is with that. So yeah. <laughs> and us as consumers, we got to be better as the person. Oh like, yeah. Non-musical person in, in, in the group. right now. <laughs> like, I really, you know, even with this platform, again, completely different medium, but like, to me, it's less like, it's like, a, I don't question the quality of the depth of the conversation mm-hmm. that, skittles have sometimes we have episodes and the quality like the conversation is better than a lot of shit that platforms that have money and production values are putting mm-hmm. out surface but if people aren't watching and sharing and engaging it makes our fight a lot harder it and so like, as consumers we have to let ourselves get back to this mode of paying attention to independent artists a lot more and not just mm-hmm. let 
impact trends drive what's on our playlist. We have yeah. to do, like, it's, it, you know, people talk about movements and shit like that. You want to, you know, hashtag Black excellence, hashtag Black Lives Matter all the way. Find you some independent artists and just fucking That's listen. That's real. You don't even got to go to the protest. How about that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's just so many ways. There's so mm. many ways. So consumers, I'm encouraging us to really listen to this and acknowledge that there's people out here trying to make the work happen and are literally putting LLCs together to make it legit. Like, legit. what is our commitment back to the artists who create for us? Yes. Girl, that was real. You need to run for president one day. I'm serious. She be having everybody straight. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us for brunch today. Are there any shout outs? Tell the people where they can find you. Oh, man. Um, thank y'all for having me, first of all. Um, but you can find me on Instagram, r.l underscore music. Um, you can also just find me on Facebook, Rebecca Loran, R-E-B-E-K-A-H-L-A-U-R, apostrophe E-N. And yeah, you can Google me, baby. Just Google me. I promise you, I'll pop up. <laughs> Yes. And Julissa, where can they find us at? Well, y'all can tune into all of our episodes anywhere you stream. Um, you can find us on the socials, on Facebook and Instagram at Ladies Who Bronche, on Twitter at Ladies Bronche. You can find me and Skittles at The Real Skittles on on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me at Julissa on Twitter and Instagram as well. Yeah, and until next yeah. time, brunche. <laughs> Thank y'all for having me though, for real. Thank y'all. Yes. <laughs>